Acts chapter number 16. And I love this passage of Scripture because it can apply to everyone. Amen? And that's what the Bible does. It seems to always do that. And uh, it's a living word. So good to be here this week. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. And uh, you guys have been giving us a round of applause. Uh, But I will say this, Pastor and Brother Chris and everyone that's been involved, you are the real heroes. I can't imagine all that goes into uh, even set up and tear down. I was outside the table last night and turned around, and it was like, I don't know, five, ten minutes, and I turned around, and all this was gone. There were desks up. It was like a magic trick. And uh, so thank you so much for having us. I don't even know what was going on. You guys are, you guys are incredible. Uh, thank you for the hospitality. The Pastrana family has been a blessing. We've thoroughly enjoyed it. And uh, just so good to be here in Manteca, California. I'll be honest, never thought I'd come here, but I'm glad I did. Amen. So <laughs> praise the Lord for that. Acts chapter number 16, and we'll start in verse number 6 tonight. The Bible says this, Now when they had gone throughout Phrygia and the region of Galatia, and were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia, after they were come to Mysia, they essayed to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit suffered them not. And they, passing by Mysia, came down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. And after he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel unto them. I'd like to preach a message tonight entitled, An Imperative Call That Led to an Incredible Night. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this day. I thank you for this church and just, Lord, the wonderful week that's been. I thank, thank you, Lord, just for those who are uh, listening, Lord, and even those who are here took time out of their schedule when they could have been doing so many other things tonight. Lord, I pray that you'd bless them for that. And God, I pray you help us tonight as we open up your word to, uh, Lord, just glean some things, be encouraged, be challenged, and Lord, even be strengthened through your word. We ask these things in your name. Amen. If I were to ex- say the date to you, 9-11. The moment I say that, something came to your mind. It is perhaps one of the darkest days, if not the darkest day in American history. Many of you can think of where you were at when you got the phone call or you heard the news or, or what was happening that day or, or what was uh, you know, going on, the fear you might have had, the emotions that were going through your mind of you know, what's going to happen next and how are we going to get through this and, and is something else going to happen? There's just a slew of emotions that probably come to your, the forefront of your mind. Well, a few years after... almost a decade later, we captured the man who was in charge of those acts. And I'll never forget, I was recommended to read a book one day. I don't even know where I was at, but I was recommended to read a book of the account of the night that Osama bin Laden was captured and killed. And I'll be honest, I was hesitant to to read it. I I didn't didn't know what to do. I was a a young boy. I remember the day like it was yesterday, but I I thought, man... what is this going to be like? So I, I went to Amazon, I got a 10% off, and I bought the book, right? So the book came to me, and I began to read it. And I'll be honest, I don't remember much about the book, except for the night they captured Osama bin Laden. In this book, the man who, who actually pulled the trigger to, to, to kill him is telling the story. And as he talks about the story, he talks about how that our military had for really many months done research as to where they thought bin Laden was hiding out. And after they had kind of narrowed, narrowed things down in process of elimination and just research and, and spies and whatnot, they had come to the conclusion that Osama bin Laden was hiding 
in a Pakistani compound, three levels high, and the majority of, of their study led them to believe that he was on the third floor. And so after this, this research and the study and all this planning, they finally set up a team, SEAL Team 6, to go and capture Osama bin Laden. And as he begins to tell the story, he talks about how the day finally came and they had an hour, I think an hour to an hour and a half to, to, part, to get this mission completed. They were going to leave at midnight and head over to, to this compound and fly out of the base there. And there was, of course, there was planning and there was, there was helicopters involved and all this stuff. And he tells the story as they were flying into this compound, the Chinook that they were in ended up crashing and they had to go to plan B. And so as, as this, this helicopter crashes outside of this compound, like anyone else, that'd probably wake you up from sleep, all right? And so this, this takes place, and so the, the men uh, began to get out of this helicopter. No one was injured, and by this point now, everybody inside the compound is, is awake, and, and there's gunfire ringing out, and things really aren't going according to plan. They were prepared for it, but they really weren't expecting it. And so one by one, they began to enter through the outer gate of this, this compound, and there was, a, there was two sections, so they got through the first wall, got through the second wall, and of course, as soon as they got on the other side, there was, there was enemy fire. And they had to be very careful. They didn't want to harm any women or children, and they meticulously got through that kind of first wave of enemy fire, and they got into the compound. And they had, they had assumed or believed that the, the brothers of Osama bin Laden family members were living on each level of this compound. And so they went through the first level, they cleared that out, got to the second level, and as he's telling the story, he remembers, talking, he remembers uh, being behind one of his partners who knew Arabic. And he began to, they, they thought that they had seen somebody above them. And you can imagine going up this compound, there was kind of a, the second level, so the man was looking down, and he, he remembers thinking to himself, there's no way we can get past this man. He, he's literally on top of us looking down with, with a gun. And his, his partner the American's partner was telling the story, remembers this, he said, he whispered the man's name in Arabic. And that was the one moment they had to, 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 to take out this enemy. And the moment he whispered that name, the man looked over the edge, he whispered his name in Arabic, and they shot and killed this man. And that cleared the second level. They now knew they had one level, which was the level they needed to get to, Osama bin Laden the most wanted man in, in the world for almost a decade at this point, 10 years. And as, he, as you read the story, he says he begins to kind of get butterflies in his chest as he knew what was about to happen next. They climb the second level, they get to the third level, and there's, there's one room, he, he, as he explained it, there's one room, and he, they knew that was Osama bin Laden. And according to the, the story, they, they blow down the door and kind of once through the dust settled and things like that, they notice that Osama bin Laden was hiding behind three of his wives. Now, at that moment, they knew that they couldn't harm those women. But at the same time, they knew those women could be armed. And a man from behind, uh, a U.S. soldier ran up and tackled those three women. And the man who's telling the story begins to talk about how he pulled the trigger and shot and killed Osama bin Laden. They take the man, they take bin Laden, they put him in a body bag, they walk out of the compound, uh, they, they begin to raid the compound. They're taking computers and hard drives and all this information of, of, of what they need. And they, they get back on the helicopter and they fly out. Not a single woman or children harmed. And as you read this story, he begins to talk about how he was on the helicopter flying back. And he, he remembers thinking to himself, 
this is not the emotion I expected to feel. I, I, just, I just killed the most wanted man in the world for now almost a decade. Why don't I feel excitement? They landed at the base. They, they, they removed the body bag. According to the story, he, the, every one of them, they opened the body bag up. Everybody took a look. They zipped it back up. And according to, to his account, they walked into a room. They were debriefed. They ate a snack and went to bed. You think the story's over. The book's over. Well, there's one chapter left. As you read the next chapter, he says, the reason why I realized that I didn't have the elation like I thought I would was because I was just fulfilling my calling. You see, to that man who killed Osama bin Laden, from the time he was 9, 10 years old, he wanted to be in the U.S. military. He, he worked hard at it. He did everything he could. And it led up to that night. And to them, that was just another day on the job, if you will. In fact, after that, they fought in Germany, and he got his next mission. It's amazing. You read this, and you're thinking to yourself, well, how could this be? And he, he kept repeating, I never felt as if I was a hero. I never felt that I just captured the most wanted man in history. I, I, just, I was just doing my job. I was just doing my calling. And folks, I believe tonight in our passage of Scripture, we can find a calling that far supersedes one of a military honor, one of, of military realm, one of, of military esteem, or even, even one that, that might even seem to many of us so pristine. It's the calling of God. I've been so encouraged this week as I heard your pastor and, and different men talk about how they're, they're, they're praying that someone from this very church is called to go to the mission field. I can't help but think how incredible that would be, how encouraging that would be. And so tonight, I want to give us a few characteristics that God explains through his word about that calling. The highest, most esteemed calling that there is. Number one, look at chapter, chapter 16, verse number six and seven. Number one, our call must be understood. Our call must be understood. Look at chapter six and seven, or verse six and seven of Acts 16. I love this, how the Bible is so real. It, just, it, just, it, it never leaves a detail out. It says this, Now when they had gone throughout Phrygia and the region of Galatia and were forbidden, underline that word, of the Holy Ghost, to preach the word in Asia. Verse 7, After they were come to Mysia, they essayed, underline that word, to go into Bithynia. But the Spirit suffered them not. It's amazing when you read that, those two verses, how many places Paul wanted to go to. It says he, he wanted to go to Phrygia. He wanted to go to Galatia, but the Holy Spirit forbid them, said no. He essayed or, or wanted to go into um, Mysia or Bithynia, and the Holy Spirit said no. How, how is this happening? You think to yourself, man, he's going to preach the gospel. Isn't any place great? Yeah, you're right. Everyone needs the gospel. But here's the thing. Paul understood his calling. Paul, You say, how did that happen? I believe Paul was constantly walking in the Spirit of God. There is no way you can realize this is happening. There's no way you have the, 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 the knowledge or the idea that the Holy Spirit is telling you, no, don't go, unless you're walking with him on a daily basis. Unless you're in his word, unless you're, you're praying and asking God to show me, to, to give me what I need. And that's exactly what Paul was doing. It's amazing. He, he simply just went where the Holy Spirit led or did not lead. But folks, that only happens if you're walking daily with him. It only happens if you're, if, you're, if you're wanting God to lead you, you're wanting God to, to show you this path. And I think it's, it's so, it makes so much sense when Paul said, I die daily. You know what? I think, I think Paul had to die to some cities. 
I think no doubt Paul wanted to go to Phrygia. He wanted to go to Galatia. He wanted to go to these places. But if the Holy Spirit's saying no, he had to die to that want, that desire. And if we're going to do that, folks, may God help us to die to some of the things that we want so we can understand his calling. Because I promise you, there's no greater calling than the one that he has for you. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6 talks about that. He's working a great work in us. He's going to perform that until the day of salvation. Get a hold of that. Let that change your life. Let that, let that mold you. Let that guide you because that is the most important calling possible. So number one, our call must be understood. It's amazing when you understand something, usually you get pretty passionate for it. I tell you what, my wife got me into golf. She was a golfer. That's how we, we met. I lied to her. I said there was a golf tournament coming to my hometown. It worked. Okay, we're married. We have a great child. It's, it's, it, it was awesome, all right? I had no intention of going to that tournament, but I knew she liked golf, amen? And so that worked out well. But I tell you what, she got me into golf. The moment I golfed, for probably the second or third time, I was hooked. You know what I do now? I know every golfer on tour. I'll be watching the, the golf tournament starting Thursday. I, I know the clubs they're swinging. I know, I know the, the score Dustin Johnson had last week. He was 30 under par, okay? I, I admit it. <laughs> Why? Because I'm passionate about it. Because I understand the game. I understand what's happening. I understand the challenge it takes to take a little white ball and hit it with a club into a little tiny hole. I become passionate about it when you understand something. And I believe the same thing is true about our calling on God. When God shows you, God leads you, and you understand that calling, boy, there is passion that develops in your heart. There's passion that stirs up, and you can move forward for the cause of Christ. So number one, our passion must be understood. Number two, our call is urgent. Our call is urgent. Look at verse number 10. So in verses 8 and 9, uh, Paul has this vision. It appears to Paul in the night, and there stood a man of Macedonia who sang, come over and help us. But notice verse number 10. It says, and after he had seen the vision, what's the next word there? Immediately, we endeavored to go into Macedonia. Boy, I love the adjectives in the, in, in the wording of, of, the, of the word of God. Paul got the vision and it was game on. It was immediate. It was, there was no, well, is this it? God, let me pray about this for a little while. God, uh, I'm gonna throw a fleece out, God, just like you did in the Old Testament. Lord, just show me, you know, if there's due tomorrow, show me. Well, okay, next day, is there more due? No, it was immediate. And I believe so often as Christians, man, we're so excited. But then game day comes, if you will. And God gives you that calling and you know it. You know that calling on your heart. And we begin to, oh man, I don't know if I can do it. God, I don't know. God, let me take some time to pray about this for a moment. Well, you knew you've been praying about it for the previous three months. Now it's the reckoning day. I tell you what, when I was called to New Zealand, I prayed for about a month over I did some fasting and praying. And as the video mentioned at West Coast Baptist College, at that youth conference, the moment I knew I was called was the moment I had the most fear. Because here's the thing. With that wave of fear on this shoulder... The peace of God was on the other shoulder. And when you understand that and you realize, man, this is an urgent call, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter number 2. Why, why was this so urgent to Paul? 1 Corinthians chapter number 2. It's just amazing that you, you see the mind of Paul. I'm in 2 Corinthians. I didn't look right. 1 Corinthians chapter number 2. And look at verse number 2. This was the mind of Paul. For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ in him crucified. 
In verse number one, he says, I didn't come to you with, with speech and fancy words. You know what he cared about? He wanted to know if you were saved or you were lost. Because if he knew either one, something was going to be said. Let me ask you something, folks. Is when's the last time that was your mindset? Is somebody saved or lost? I was doing some, some research recently, and I came across some statistics in our, in our world right now. According to statistics, every 10 seconds, 15 people slip into eternity. According to the statistics last year here in America, every 40 seconds, a suicide took place. Last year, the average age of a person coming into a Planned Parenthood facility here in America was 17 years old. Last year, 300,000 people claimed to have used heroin, and they were 12 years old or younger. I want to do something real quick here. On the count of three, hold your breath. Ready? Here we go. One, two, three. Let it out. According to statistics, five people just died without Christ. Folks, does that bother you? Does that concern you? Or is that just another stat line? Is that just, wow, that's, yeah, that's pretty sobering. Wow. Or does that, does that burn a fire in your heart? Because I tell you what, I think as Christians, for far too long, it's just been a, oh, wow, that's too bad. Ah, man, you know, I, I pray for him. Don't misunderstand me. That, that's, all, that's all good. But I think it's time for us to wake up and start seeing the urgency of our calling. Because I can promise you that's not going to get any better unless we start it. Unless we start feeling that urgency, unless we start feeling that, you know what? People are broken and hopeless and will die without Christ unless we don't get urgent. Number one, our call is understood. Number two, our call is urgent. Number three, our call is uncomfortable. Our call is uncomfortable at times. If we won't take the time to read all this passage because of time, but I tell you what, you read Acts chapter 16, Lydia gets saved, and really from that point on, it gets pretty wild for Paul. It gets pretty incredible. He, there's a woman who's possessed of a demon. She starts tr- causing all kinds of trouble. He casts her out. Then before you know it, once he casts the demon out, the government gets upset because they sent her. They wanted her to kind of, kind of throw a wrench in things. They beat Paul and Silas, and they throw him in prison. Wow. What a couple days, huh? Now think about it. We always talk about that. We always say, wow, yeah, that's, that's Paul just suffering for Jesus. You're right, he was. But really, if you read... Acts 16 through, I don't know, verse number 24, Paul's pretty much doing what he's supposed to do. He hasn't done anything wrong. He's obeyed God in his calling to go to Macedonia. He's seen people saved. He's, he's removed a, a woman from the grips of Satan, and yet he finds himself beaten and battered in a jail cell. I don't know about you, that sounds pretty uncomfortable for doing what God has called me to do. And may I remind you tonight that, you know what? There's going to be some times in your calling where things get a little uncomfortable. I, my feelings on deputation have been, at times, very frustrated. But I tell you what, when I, when I left for deputation, I never thought in a million, or I guess I shouldn't say when I left, when I, when I envisioned deputation, I didn't envision going out church to church across the country in a worldwide pandemic. Okay, I'll be honest, that wasn't on my radar. All right? But I tell you what, it's gotten uncomfortable a couple times. It's gotten a little uneasy. It's gotten a little frustrating. I'm not, I'm not trying to you know, tell you to have a pity party for us, but I'm, just trying, I'm here to tell you that sometimes the calling gets uncomfortable. And so often, I think as Christians, we get to that point and we just think, eh, well, maybe this is God telling me not, you know, not to continue on. No, that's the time when it gets uncomfortable where you need to rest in God's grace and push forward. 
What does the Bible say in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18? But grow in what? In grace. I tell you what, the grace of God gives you the ability to get through the uncomfortable. And so often we say, man, it's the grace of God, you know, and we gotta, we gotta, we gotta grow in the Lord and do, 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 do. And we fail. Why? Because we're not walking, we're not growing in the grace of God. If I can give you an illustration, give me some liberty here. This is God's grace, all right? Here's us. When you get in God's grace, He'll direct you, He'll guide you, He'll take you through the valleys, He'll take you through the storms, and you're safe and secure in His hand. But you know what we do so often? We get to the valley. Microphone's the valley, all right? The hard time, the uncomfortable time. We get there and we run. What'd you just do? You got outside of the grace of God that gives you the strength to get through it anyways. And so often we miss that. God doesn't want you to give up. God doesn't want you to quit. He wants you to press forward for his cause. Number one, our call must be understood. Number two, our call is urgent. Number three, our call gets uncomfortable. And lastly tonight, our call is unstoppable. Our call is unstoppable. Look at verse number 25 of Acts 16. It says, And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God. And the prisoners heard them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were open, and everyone's bands were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, on awakening out of his sleep and seeing the prison doors open, he drew out his sword and would have killed himself, supposing that the prisoners had been fled. But Paul cried with a loud voice, saying, Do thyself no harm, for we are all here. I love it. He's kind of mocking him a little bit, right? Then he called for a light and sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas. Now notice this, verse number 30. And brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Wow. You talk about a change of events. Here's the man that, quite frankly, honestly, could have been beating Paul a few hours ago could have literally thrown him in prison, could have been the guy that turned the key and locked him up. And now here he is at the feet of Paul begging, tell me how to be saved. Talk about awkward. Here you are beating this guy up. Now you're asking for forgiveness and to show him how to get to heaven. Yeah, rough night for the jailer, right? But no, that's the power of the gospel. And if you go on to read, the jailer gets saved, his house gets saved. And folks, there is rejoicing in heaven over this family that trusted Christ that night. You say, how does that happen? How does that work? How in the world can that, can that be? Folks, that's the power of the gospel. Amen. When you get under that call, that was way back in verse number 10, verse number 9, and you follow through, and you get urgent about it, you, get, you, you, you do it immediately, you work hard, you get there where God wants you to be, there is no stopping that calling. He'll work that work until He, he calls you home. That's the power of gospel. And by the way, that's the engine behind your calling. The gospel, that's what's driving you. That's what's pushing you. The power of God, the safety of him, that is what is guiding you. And that is what God is still able to do right here in Manteca, right here in Sacramento, right here in, 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 in Central Valley. That is what God can do if we just simply say, God, here we go. Use me. That's what can happen in New Zealand. That's in Uruguay, in the Middle East. The calling is unstoppable. Lastly, turn to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter number 8. In verse number 31. This is one of those shouting verses in the Bible. What shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? I don't know what God's doing in your heart this week. I don't know what his calling is in your life. But I know for sure 
that there are, there's a desire by your pastor, by the staff of this church, that God would call somebody to go. Now, I'll tell you one thing. You'll never go across the sea until you first go across the street. There are people all over, broken, right here, perhaps in this room, who are saying, help me. Would you, would you come over and help me? Would you come knock on my door? Would, would, would you come buy me a Diet Coke and, and take me out and talk to me about the gospel? I have nothing. I, I'm broken. I'm going nowhere fast. And I, I, I am bound for a spiritual death sentence. And folks, unless we get serious about the calling of God, which by the way, is for everybody, those people will die broken and lost. May God help us to make his final command of go ye into all the world and preach the gospel our first priority.